Welcome once again to At Home in Your Hymnal. Pastor Clint Poppy, Pastor Adam Moline, we are privileged to serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. We are taking a journey through the divine service. We, for the last several episodes, have been looking at certain parts and components of the divine service. The whole purpose of our program, At Home in Your Hymnal, is to help you be at home in your hymnal corporately with your brothers and sisters in Christ during the divine service at uh, worship whenever you go, and also to be able to use your hymnal at home, family devotions, personal devotions, to be able to know what the contents are, but more importantly, why we do what we do and the theological nature of things. Pastor Moline, welcome back to At Home in Your Hymnal. Yeah, good to be here. What a beautiful day. Uh, it, 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 and whenever you're listening to this, even if it's a blizzard outside, it's a beautiful day when you are in God's Word. I, I so, kind of miss blizzards. Uh, it's been a while since we had one. So. Okay, North Dakota boy. Yeah, sure, you betcha. Don't say that too much. You'll be uh, you'll be on the unemployment line. Um, what, uh, what we are at now in uh, this episode is we're going to be talking about the offertory and the offering. So, Pastor, does this mean uh, we got to get our checkbook out? Is this uh, is this all that we're doing here? You know, strategically located in the service. We've read the Word of God. We've preached the Word of God, and so now we're we're manipulating the people to uh, at the at their weakest point to uh, to make a big donation to the church. Is that what's going on in this rhythm and flow of the divine service? Well, it is what's going on in some of the television preachers that you see. That's why uh, I brought it up. And uh, yet for us in our Lutheran church, at least if we're using the liturgy, uh, it kind of guards against that. And that's an important thing to notice. Uh, we're not uh, also saying, you know, put your hand on the television screen and send a check of $100 to, you know, Pastor Clint Poppy. And the address, you know, uh, we're not selling like uh, magical healing water, right? These are all things I've or seen on TV. Or, or prayer rugs or those Or prayer rugs or shawls or, or anything like that. Uh, no, uh, that's not what we're doing. It is, as we've talked before, it is a uh, give and take back and forth uh, in the divine service. God gives his gifts and then we receive them and then we respond uh, with uh, a praise prayer and thanksgiving and that's the same sort of thing that's happening here in the offering as well which is why it's strategically placed where it is so to the untrained eye or to the skeptic um we have in divine service one and that's what we're working through right now we have just had the prayers of the church and as soon as the prayers of the church are over we pass the plates I suppose a skeptic could say we're trying to buy God off. We've just given our petitions to God. We've asked him for what we want. And uh, to kind of hedge our bets, now we're going to throw a little money in the collection plate. That sounds an awful lot like pagan worship uh, where, where the gods are capricious and uh, we have to manipulate them into action. How is that not what's going on here, and again, with regard to this rhythm and flow of how we've gotten to this point in the worship service. Well, the first thing we have to think about in that regard is what actually is the offering doing, and who is it uh, benefiting, if you want to use that particular language. Uh, it's not an offering 
to God, per se, as if we're buying forgiveness from him or anything like that. Rather, it is responsive to God giving his gifts to us and us then caring for the people around us. Uh, Our offerings are not... um, how do I say it? God doesn't need our good works, but our neighbor does, and that's what our offering actually does. It helps the other people in the congregation. So first and foremost, it pays the salary of the pastor, right, so he can continue to preach the word among us. It takes care of his family as well, feeds them, puts a roof over their head. It also uh, turns the air conditioning on in the the church sanctuary, or if we're back to the blizzard, the heat, uh, so that your neighbor sitting down the pew from you is not too hot or too cold. Uh, It turns on the electricity so that you can read the page, things like that. And so offering is not going towards God. It is actually in service to the neighbor, the person down the pew. Uh, Lots of times, too, offering might help somebody in need or make sure the pastor can go and visit them in the hospital or uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The offering cares for our neighbor. It's not actually like we're burning it and giving it to God or anything like that. It is service towards neighbor. So with regard to the offering, we have talked quite a bit with this rhythm and flow in the worship service. God speaks and we respond. God speaks and we respond. We see this rhythm and flow, this rhythm and flow. God has spoken to us in the sermon, the readings of the word and the sermon, We then speak back to God a confession of faith with our creed. We lift up our prayers and our petitions to God. And now comes the offering. And then when we're done with the offering, we sing the offertory. And uh, that was the uh, bumper music that we had here. And we're going to listen to that in total and uh, see the Bible passages that's based on from Psalm 116. Pastor. And I think the thing you just said is more clearly seen in Divine Service Setting 3, the the more traditional, uh, old-fashioned church service where we have the sermon and immediately following that we have the offertory and the offering. And just... Uh, in our new services, setting one and setting two, they've kind of switched the order just a little bit, and it's a little bit more difficult to see how it is a response to hearing God's word in the sermon because we have the creed in between. Uh, so you can see that more clearly if you look on pages 192 uh, and 193 of your hymnal with divine service setting three, how it is really responsive to hearing God's word. And uh, it's it's beautifully placed, and it's a pair of paraphrase, excuse me, of Psalm 51, creating me a clean heart, O God, creating me a new heart, coming right after the sermon. And uh, I just think that is a a liturgical masterpiece, how uh, how that was all put together. We don't see that quite as clearly here in Divine Service Setting 1. And the prayers are a response back to God. We're, we're, Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy, Lord have mercy. We're, we're lifting up our prayers and our petitions to God. And then we are offering a sacrifice of praise, so to speak, with regard to our singing and our financial gifts and our financial offerings. Is that a fair way to uh, characterize the offering, a uh, sacrifice of praise? 
and I even think that the way that it is stated in the particular offertory for divine service setting one is even a better word, a sacrifice of thanksgiving. Uh, where God has done these things for us. He's given his word. He's poured out his grace, mercy, and peace uh, through the preaching of that word. And now in thanksgiving, we're returning uh, these gifts to the Lord for service to neighbor and those in the members of our congregation. And uh, I think that is a, a, a very, very good way to understand this, this sacrifice of thanksgiving. If you are familiar with the offertory, you know what we're talking about. If you're not, open up your hymnals, your LSB hymnals on the bottom of page 159, and uh, let's listen right now. All right, there you've heard it. That's the Offertory from Divine Service Setting 1, page 159 and 160 in your hymnal, Lutheran Service Book. But, uh, Pastor, I think we're busted. I think we're busted as we, uh, as we heard those words, if you listen, listen carefully. It says, I will pay my vows to the Lord now. That sure sounds like we're buying off God. Um, can you, uh, can you put that phrase in context? And uh, when we come back from our break, we'll look at uh, Psalm 116 and the verses from Psalm 116 that this offertory is pulled from. But how is us uh, uh, singing in the offertory, I will pay my vows to the Lord, how is that to be properly understood in the context of Christian worship? Well, I think the next little bit of it that uh, is the continuation of those words is important. I will pay my vows to the Lord now in the presence of all his people. And, and that's really where the voice of faith, the action of faith uh, is done, is in the presence of other people and care and mercy and compassion to them. Uh, as we said before, God doesn't need our good works, but our neighbor does. And so when God gives his gifts of forgiveness, of faith, uh, of mercy, uh, he gives them to us for the use in caring for that person uh, that is next to us or, or down the pew from us or our neighbor in need. And, and Jesus teaches us very clearly in a number of parables, uh, for example, the parable of the Good Samaritan, where uh, the person, uh, because they have faith, takes care of the man who has been beat up and left on the side of the road for dead, and even uh, takes care of them, in providing medical care, a place to stay, and the promise of paying off any debts incurred to get that person better. And that's the, the key there, is that uh, God does everything necessary for our salvation. We cannot add or subtract for that. And so we do 
good works, but we don't need to do them to please God. Rather, we do them to care for our neighbor in need. So you're telling me that our offerings are not some kind of a trade-off or a buy-off of God, but our offerings are a good work in response to the Word of God, in response to everything that God has done for me? That's exactly what we're saying. Aha, aha. And I think that is what we need to keep in mind as we continue on with our program. Uh, We are looking at the offering and, in a sense, the theology of stewardship as we are talking about the offering, and specifically the part of the liturgy in uh, Divine Service 1, Lutheran Service Book, page 159 and 60, the offertory, What Shall I Render to the Lord? If you have your Bibles, handy uh, during our break. Why don't you get them out? And we're going to look at Psalm 116 when we come back from our break. This is at home in your hymnal. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to At Home in Your Hymnal, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline. We are working our way through Divine Service Setting 1, and uh, we're looking at the offering or the offertory, everybody's favorite part of the service. Uh, It's interesting that uh, during the offering, how many people are... Uh, getting out their checkbook, going to the bathroom, slipping outside for a smoke. Um, you know, it's kind of like intermission at a uh, football game, halftime of a football game or intermission at a long movie. Uh, they still do that with long? I don't think they do. When I was a kid and you had a movie over two hours, there was always an intermission in the middle so you could go out to the snack bar. Uh, yeah, that, I don't think they do anymore. I'm yeah. trying to think of the last time there was a movie that had one. Yeah, I remember. The, uh, how the West was won. I remember when I saw How the West was won in the theater, when I saw Ben-Hur in the theater. Uh, there's that intermission in the middle. And, uh, anyway, um, I do. Uh, we, we have in the past uh, been uh, referring to a marvelous Bible study uh, by uh, Reverend John Fram, and it is the Divine Service, its History and Theology. And Pastor uh, Moline and I were talking about a couple of things during the break, and things that can sometimes be misunderstood. You know, we said our, our offerings, God doesn't need our offerings, and yet we stand at the top of the altar and lift up the offering plates to God. Uh, we put them at the feet of Jesus on our altar. And so are we sending a mixed message, and could people rightly misunderstand us as trying to uh, buy God's favor? Uh, this is certainly not what's going on. And I think Pastor Fram's comments here, followed up by uh, a quote from um, seminary professor John Pless, is especially helpful in sorting this out. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a paragraph here, Pastor, and I want you to respond. And uh, this is from page 70 in Pastor Fram's study. Between the various settings of the divine service, there is a little variation in the order after the sermon until the service of the sacrament. Following the creed and the sermon, 
there always follows the offering, offertory, and the prayers of the church. These are sacrificial elements in the liturgy. And I'll interject here. Sacrificial means we are doing it toward God. Responses to the grace of God received in his word. In the early church, this time of the service was only for the communicants, such as others, such as visitors, catechumens, those under church discipline, were dismissed with a little benediction after the sermon. And uh, we've heard that we've heard that often. You know that the communion part of the service was only for those who were to receive the the Lord's body and blood. And pagans came up with all kinds of crazy things that were happening there. In earlier centuries of the church. The altar was not set up with the communion elements ahead of time before the liturgy, but rather the elements were brought in procession to the altar at the singing of the offertory. Bread and wine were prepared locally for the divine service so that the bread was fresh from week to week. In the earliest centuries, the setting of the altar for the Lord's Supper was very simple, especially when the congregation met in a house. In the time of legalized Christianity at the the ceremony at this point was much more elaborate. Typically, a psalm was chanted during the time of this movement or procession to the altar. In our rites, we typically make use of Psalm 51, that's Divine Service 3, or Psalm 116, Divine Service 1. The procession of the sacramental elements and the singing of the appropriate psalm were also accompanied by the presentation of gifts of thanksgiving or offerings. And now he quotes Arthur Just, seminary professor at Fort Wayne Seminary. The bringing forward of the bread and wine is part of the sacrificial part of the liturgy where we offer our gifts to God, including our tithes and offerings. These gifts are given in response to the hearing of the very words of Jesus in the gospel and are given in thanksgiving for the gift about to be received in the Lord's Supper. So, response to the gospel, part one, thanksgiving for the gift we're about to receive in the Lord's Supper, part two. That's what just is uh, presenting to us. Uh, As we give back to the Lord what he has given to us, acknowledging that we are unable to outgive the Lord. The people of God respond by bringing forward their gifts with the bread and the wine as the table is set for the meal. The offering of our gifts for the extension of God's kingdom begins with the gifts of bread and wine that will be used as the means by which we will receive the very body and blood of Christ. Okay, your comments and responses to this point. Are you, are you buying it? Is it making sense? Uh, is, this, is this what we want in the minds of our people, this two-part thing that's going on with the offering? In response to the word of God that we've just heard, in thanksgiving for the gifts we are about to receive. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And I think uh, a lot of the things they're talking about with preparing for the uh, Lord's Supper are important to talk about as well. And even some churches today even have a credence table where the elements for the Lord's Supper are set, waiting for this particular time of the church service. Um, And for the offering... Once again, we're we're bringing it here into God's house as a thanksgiving for what he's done, a sacrifice of thanksgiving as we sing in uh, 116. And those gifts then are used to help our neighbor in need um, through the work of the church. Yeah, I think we're all on the same page there. Okay, now one of the things that you said was <clears throat> that uh, your practice up in uh, North Dakota when you were up there uh, as a uh, parish pastor for nearly a decade was that the offerings did not go on the altar. 
Right. They went. They went on a side table. You called that a well. There's we had more than one. There's there's a, a credence table, which is oftentimes in the altar area where the elements for the Lord's Supper are set, so that the appropriate amount can be prepared for uh, the Lord's Supper when the time comes. And then there was a separate little table where we set the offering so that it was not sitting on the altar in front of uh, the people and in front of Christ uh, as his body and blood is present. So it wasn't able to be misconstrued as a, this is what we're giving to you, God, to earn our forgiveness, and now you're going to give us this. So the offerings went in a separate place okay. to and, avoid that. And, and so um, being sensitive to the fact that some people might misunderstand the offering as a buying back of God's favor or a paying for the forgiveness of sins. And it is right for Lutherans to be extra sensitive about that. That's one of the reasons why we had a reformation. Mm -hmm. uh, so I want to continue on here with uh, Pastor Frams, um, and we're going to get to Psalm 116. We just may not get, it, get to it in this particular segment, I promise you. Um, and then he's quoting from uh, Reed in uh, his, uh, his uh, extensive uh, work on the service. In the primitive church at this point in the service, the people brought food and other gifts for the poor and for the support of the clergy. They came in an offer offeratory procession and placed their gifts on a table, prothesis, near the altar. And that's the table that's you're talking, the table about. I'm talking about. Okay. This prothesis, back to Fram, or credence table, is a small side table that is placed near the wall on the epistle side, the liturgical south side of the sanctuary, to the right of the altar if you're facing the front. It serves as an auxiliary table for the vessels for Holy Communion. It is not commonly used in Lutheran churches. Sometimes this is called an offertory table. The collection of alms, funds, and material items such as food or clothing for the needy may also customarily take place during the offertory. In Christian usage, the giving of alms is firstly done for those of the congregation in need and, if the resources allow, for others. This follows the principle of St. Paul in Galatians 6, verse 10. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to all those who are of the household of faith. So that gives a little fuller explanation for the practice that uh, Pastor Moline was used to at the uh, parishes that he served in uh, North Dakota. So we sing our offertory. Uh, and let me just read these words uh, of our offertory that we've heard played a couple of times. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will offer the sacrifice of thanksgiving and will call on the name of the Lord. I will take the cup of salvation and will call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord now in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the Lord house, in the midst of you, O Jerusalem. According to Professor Just, we are giving thanks now for the word of God that we have just heard, and we are giving thanks for the gift we are about to receive in the Lord's Supper. Back to Fram. With all this said regarding the offertory, we should also be mindful of taking such elements as the main thing or to make them into things that merit God's favor. That was your, yeah. uh, that was your concern there, Pastor, your nervousness. The Lutheran Reformation was particularly cautious 
in the usage of the offertory. And I think we should be too. And then he quotes from Professor John Pless. This is pure gold, folks. The church's liturgical practice should not obscure the gift character of God's word and sacraments. These are not the pious actions of men, but the very gifts of God that give and bestow the forgiveness won at Calvary. Thus, confessional Lutherans will reject the anthropological understanding of ceremony that sees the liturgy as ritual reenactment, representation, or remembrance of salvation history. Jesus Christ is our servant and liturgist in the divine service, as he bestows the fruits of his death and resurrection by means of word and sacrament. Faith, not participation in ritual action, is the key to a proper understanding of the place of ceremonies in the liturgy. Ceremonies serve the right in tutoring the worshiper in a faith that is reverent and receptive in the presence of the Lord, who is in the midst of the congregation as its servant. That's the end of the quote from Fram. We've just got a little bit of time left in this segment, Pastor. Um, you are one that is very, very serious about the liturgy of the church. You are very, very, and rightly so, don't get me wrong, I'm not criticizing, very, very serious about reverence of the pastor and the people in the church, and yet we still need to be cautious with regard to Pless so that people don't think that the reverence and the ceremony somehow is earning or meriting favor. To me, Pless gets both aspects of that spot on. What do you think? I think he does, too, and I think that's the, the key, and I think it's the thing that's lost in our society today. We act a particular way because we are in the presence of God. We cannot uh, think that we're getting to be in the presence of God because of the way we act. We're in the presence of God because of what Christ has done. But still in the same way, since we're here in the presence of God and the divine service, we need to behave appropriately at the same time. And so that's the, the key. And all the little things that we do in the divine service then should teach that and um, show that to the people because it's true. And that's, I think, where all the little tiny details, you know, are important for us to consider and think about in what are we actually teaching our people is going on here. And I think that's the point that we're trying to get across in regards to our offering. Our offering is not a payment to God to get our forgiveness of sins. It is a response to God because he has given us the forgiveness of sins. And, uh, and so how do we teach that to our people and what we do in the, in the liturgy? Uh, and I think that's the question we're talking about. And the only way that can happen is if God gives <coughs> us a new heart and that's exactly what he does by the power of his word. A heart to receive his gifts, a heart to acknowledge him as the giver of all good gifts, a heart that wants to be respectful, thankful, and reverent. Ponder those things. I promise when we come back from our break, we're going to look at Psalm 116, Divine Service Setting 1, the Offertory. This is at home in your hymnal. Don't change that dial. This week's church service is more than hymns and a sermon. Get a more in-depth study of this week's message with Pastor Poppy and Pastor Moline on Proclaiming the One. Tune in Sundays at 12 p.m., Wednesdays at 11 a.m., 
Fridays at 11 a.m. and again at 6 p.m. and Saturdays at 10 a.m. For past episodes on demand, go to thecross957.org backslash proclaiming the one. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? Familiar offertory from Divine Service Setting 1 in Lutheran Service Book. Divine Service Setting 1 is on page 151 and following. The offertory is on the bottom of page 159, flowing over to the top of page 160. People are sometimes shocked, uh, pleasantly amazed, when they realize that the liturgical songs and uh, the, many of the spoken responses as well are direct quotes from Scripture. And in uh, Divine Service Setting 1, in LSB, in tiny, tiny little print on the bottom of page 159, it says, Psalm 116, 12 to 13, comma, 17 to 19. So this offertory is based on those five verses from Scripture, Psalm 116, 12 to 13, and then 17 to 19. Now, I'm always one, and I know, Pastor, you're this way as well. Whenever you have parts of Scripture that are kind of like plucked out of a chapter, and maybe there are some gaps or whatever, uh, I sometimes get a little suspicious. Like, what what else is here? What are they trying to hide? You know, that kind of a thing. And generally, I'm pleasantly surprised that they're not trying to hide anything. Um, what I'd like to do here with uh, Psalm 116, when we look at the scriptural basis for our offertory, what shall I render to the Lord, is uh, I'd like to take the first 11 verses and uh, kind of see what's going on here uh, before we get to verse 12, which literally says, what shall I render to the Lord? So um, I'll read the words, and then uh, you, we'll just have the Pastor Moline running commentary. How does that sound? Sounds good. Okay. Psalm 116. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Pastor, what's going on there? Well, uh, it is a, a statement of faith, a confession of faith here. Uh, I love the Lord, and I know that he's going to hear when I talk to him. Uh, and this is, I think we've talked about this in the prayer section of this particular show uh, just uh, a few weeks ago. And so uh, go back there and listen. Uh, that's the reality. We know God always hears our prayers because he does love us and promises to care for us and provide for us in all our times of need. So right off the bat, and we're going to see that this entire psalm is built upon God's love for us and my response back to God because of his great love for me. Correct. This ties in with everything that we've talked about, the offering and the offertory to this point. Let me continue. Verse 2 of Psalm 116. Because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. What's happening here, Pastor? Well, I think it's interesting there in verse 2 that we will call on the name of the Lord as long as I live. And this uh, this is 
the way Hebrew poetry worked, that's a reflection on the, the first verse of the psalm. I love the Lord because he's heard my voice. And now uh, we're hearing the same thing. He's going to, uh, he loves me and he's inclined his ear to me and I will call on him as long as I live. And right after we talk about how long we're going to live, what do we talk about? The next thing. The pangs of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol uh, laid hold on me, and I suffered distress and anguish. And so there, when you're faced with a, an event that uh, the pangs of death encompass you and Sheol surrounds you, uh, what sort of an event might that be? It's one where you don't know if you're going to live or you're going to die. And so just as he said before, I'll call him as long as I live. We also then here have the uh, psalmist in the face of death once again, calling upon the Lord uh, in the name of the Lord. O Lord, deliver my soul, which matches up with kind of the end of the Lord's Prayer there as well. Deliver us from evil, which we have the immediate, uh, the way we normally think of it when we pray, you know, help this bad situation come to its end, but also has the extended meaning, you know, take me out of this sinful world so that I might in the resurrection live in peace and comfort and joy forever. So we have both those things going on here as well. There's a little bit of a pause or a break after verse 4, and now we reflect on who God is. Verse 5. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. Pastor, um, it kind of sounds like the person in the midst of their sufferings is clinging to the nature of God, who he is and how he has acted in the past. Is that a fair way to look at those verses? Yeah, I think, again, it's a confession of faith. This is the God that I'm talking about, the one who is uh, righteous and merciful and preserves the simple. Uh, and so, once again, we have that confession of faith and then the promise of what that God has promised to do, return us to our rest, which, once again, in the, the uh, context of this particular psalm, has the immediate uh, sense in uh, a healing or a return to health from whatever ailment is there, but also then again that extended meaning, uh, which I think, you know, as we get to verses 15 and 16, we'll see it more clearly. The extended meaning that we know that even as we face death uh, and the end of our life, God will continue to provide for us and carry us through with his mercy and his righteousness. In verses 8 and 9 should be read together. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. That sounds like that rhythm and flow of his love, our response. Is that a correct way to look at that, Pastor? I Yes, it definitely is. Um, and just, I mean, I sound like a broken record here. Again, this has that sense both now and later um, where in Christ we know that this has its fulfillment no matter what things happen, even death itself will still walk in the land of the living. And here we have the paradox of now, not yet, 10 and 11. I believed even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. This is the reality of the fallen world that we live in. How in the world can we cling to our faith in a gracious, righteous, merciful God when all these enemies are attacking us? 
Well, the only way we can cling to God and his word in the face of all these great enemies is by God's mercy, which uh, a few verses before we've identified that's the God we're talking about, the God of mercy, who has compassion upon poor, miserable sinners. As we hear elsewhere in Scripture, while we were yet still sinners, uh, Christ died for all sins and came for us. And that's the, the only hope we have. God calls, gathers, and enlightens, and sanctifies the entire church by his word and keeps us in the one true faith. And praise God that he does that uh, out of his love and mercy for us. We've worked our way through the first 11 verses of Psalm 116, and now we get to verses 12 and 13, which is the first part of our offertory, What Shall I Render to the Lord?, which is what we're examining here in At Home in Your Hymnal. Verses 12 and 13, What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. Pastor, this seems crazy. Verses 12 and 13 follow 10 and 11. I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. How in the world can I give my thanks, offer the cup of salvation to God when all of this bad stuff is happening in the world? Well, I, th I think there's even more to it than that, and you tell me if I'm crazy here. The, the question is asked, what shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? And, and the reality is, uh, in the next verses, we see he's already given us the things necessary for our salvation. What do we render to God for his benefits? You know, there's nothing that we can pay God for what he's done for us. There's nothing that earns the salvation for us. There's no amount of money or earthly goods that we have that are worthy of what we pay to him. And yet he still gives us the cup of salvation. Where does he do that? Uh, and I think this is key and why this is between the offering and the Lord's Supper. Uh, the cup of salvation, which is the very blood of Jesus Christ, uh, poured out for sinners so that by drinking it, they might receive forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation. Uh, and it also says, call on the name of the Lord, uh, which is the very name that was placed upon us in the waters of holy baptism baptism, and uh, the name of the Lord Jesus is the person that we're partaking in in the Lord's Supper. And so I think this does drive us then to the means of grace, baptism and the Lord's Supper, as the place where the benefits of the Lord are delivered to me, not so much as where we are paying God uh, for that salvation. It's rather this is driving us to the place where God gives forgiveness to us here and now. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to offer something uh, maybe wild and crazy. We've heard about who God is, the afflictions of sin in my body, sin in the world, sin attacking me from Satan. I will call on the name of the Lord. You, you have rightly said that what can I give, what can I offer to the Lord? Nothing. Nothing. Uh, I will call on the name of the Lord. Is that a, syn a synonym? Is that synonymous with faith? I will pay my vows to the Lord. We're not talking about buying God off. We're saying, I cling to you, Lord. I love you. I believe in you. So uh, calling on the name of the Lord and paying my vows to the Lord are synonymous with faith. What do you think? Are you buying it? Yeah, I, I am. And I think that's exactly what's going on, right? And so God gives faith. We can't find it uh, on our own. We wouldn't even know what name of which God to call upon unless God had first revealed it to us through his holy scriptures. And then I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of his people. 
and maybe this isn't the original intent, but I think it still has something to do for us. Where are our vows made to God? He's called us uh, through the waters of baptism, and uh, we have been instructed in the faith. And uh, before we receive the Lord's Supper, we say, uh, you know, Clint, do you promise to hold fast to this confession of faith and no other until you, uh, even in the face of death, I'm not quoting it exactly right here, and you say in your confirmation vows, so help me God. So help me God. So even that action of fulfilling your vows is God's working through your life, uh, through his word and through his sacrament to keep you in the one true faith, and we hold no part in that at all. And so God doesn't need our help. God doesn't need our works. Our neighbor does. And in the faith uh, that you're talking about, we serve our neighbor. Uh, we, we show compassion to them. We love them. Uh, the salvation act is completely God's work. And then in response, we love and care for our neighbors in need. I think that uh, that sheds a whole new light on this offertory when we think about uh, calling on the name of the Lord and paying our vows as Faith, the faith response, the yep. response of faith, and then I'm gonna, I'm gonna. Uh, verse 14 is repeated in uh, a little bit later. Verse uh, 18. That's why that skipped. I'm gonna pick up with uh, 17. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all His people. I'm gonna proclaim my faith publicly. I'm not just going to do this privately. I'm going to do this publicly for it in, in the courts of the Lord house, in the midst of you, O Jerusalem. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. This, uh, this public confession of faith that God has given me, even in the midst of my afflictions, I can cling to God and give him my thanks and my praise and my sacrifice. And then uh, the two verses that are skipped here in the offertory, they really sum things up very well. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. The loosening of the bonds is the forgiveness of sin. And I think even Jesus here, too, with the son of the maidservant and all this is telling us this is where that is actually won and delivered to us is in Christ's death on the cross. Psalm 116. I mean, all of God's word is awesome. But Psalm 116, you could not go wrong memorizing the words of Psalm 116 and taking them with you to your grave. This is episode 25 of At Home in Your Hymnal. We're looking at the offering and offertory. When we come back, we want to look a little bit more at the theology of stewardship and why Christians give. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back. You are listening to KNNA. LP 95.7 FM Lincoln, Nebraska.
Welcome back to At Home in your hymnal, Pastor Clint Poppy, Pastor Adam Moline. We are privileged to serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Come join us for worship. 8 and 10.30 on Sunday mornings, every Wednesday evening throughout the year at 6.30. We are a confessional, liturgical Lutheran church. We are offering this program at home in your hymnal to help you be at home in your hymnal with the corporate worship service and also at home in your hymnal as you use this great gift of God, this hymnal, in your personal or family devotions. And uh, we love your feedback as well. This is episode 25, which means we have 24 previous episodes that are archived. The uh, last 10 or so are working our way through the Divine Service. Uh, and right now we're working on Divine Service Setting 1. Our earlier episodes take a look at the theology and practice of Lutheran worship in general. So check those out. Out, and I'd love to have your feedback. In uh, part one and two of this episode 25, we looked at kind of the structure, the rhythm and flow, how the offering and offertory fit into the divine service. This is not some kind of works righteousness buy off of God, but uh, this is a joyful response to the gospel of Jesus Christ. In our uh, third segment of episode 25, we worked our way through Psalm 116, which is what our offertory, What Shall I Render to the Lord, is based on, and a beautiful psalm, a psalm rich with theology, and it really sums up the response of faith in the life of a believer. And in this last segment, I want to take some time and touch on a touchy topic. And it's a touchy topic for a lot of reasons. Uh, one of the reasons it's a touchy topic is because so many Christians and so many churches have abused this particular topic. And we want to talk about Christian stewardship. We want to talk about why in the world should anybody give an offering to God to begin with? What's the deal? Uh, God is a gift-giving God. We receive the gifts of God. And so... Uh, Pastor, where do you want to start with this particular topic? I think this is one that we have shamefully not addressed in the church often enough. We are so afraid that people are going to accuse us of only talking about money or only caring about the pocketbook that we have gone to the other extreme where we won't talk about money or a pocketbook or Christian stewardship ever. So uh, where, do, where do you want to take us here? Well, yeah, it's kind of a, is a difficult thing, and yet I think there's a simple solution in how we talk about it. We, You know, lots of churches, when they bring up the topic, they are concerned about money and finances and things like that, and the truth is is that those aren't our main focuses. This is actually talking about what it looks like to live life as a Christian, what your identity as a Christian looks like. And when you're a Christian, you want to hear God's word. And so you do the things that are necessary for that word to be proclaimed among you, which part of that involves, well, we got to pay a preacher to be here and bring that word to us. Um, part of uh, hearing the word of God is we got to have a building. Uh, we don't have to, but we 
we have the ability to have a building, so how do we pay for that building so that it exists, so that there's electricity, so that there's heat and air conditioning, so that there's running water, so that people can go to the bathroom and not uh, have a little pile on the corner or whatever. Uh, how do we actually bring about the preaching of God's Word? And it's not then just for me, but how do I make sure that my neighbor is able to hear God's Word? And part of that is we need to provide for the church, and that's our identity as Christians. We want to hear the word. We want others to hear the word. And the way we provide that service is through some financial means, and that's our identity as Christian. And I think the place where we can really talk about that well is in the table of duties and in the uh, concept of vocation, right? Uh, and that's where... What can I do in my particular vocation to make sure the people who need to hear God's word are hearing God's word? For, for people, Pastor, who aren't familiar with that title, Table of Duties, what are you talking about, where is it, and how does that relate to this topic of Christian stewardship? Yeah, it's a, it's a part of the catechism, Martin Luther's small catechism, and I think it's a helpful part that probably... Uh, we don't spend as much time teaching it, as we it should. It also is in your hymnal. It is in your it, hymnal, and I'm turning there now. Um, it is. Um, but I want to say about page 320. Yeah, three. I'm looking here. 320 is the catechism, and the the table of duties then is section 3 on page 328. And uh, in your hymnal, it gives the Bible passages, but it doesn't actually have it all written out. But it talks about um, if you're a pastor, what's your particular duty uh, as a pastor? And, and the main thing is to preach the Word of God and its truth and purity. If you're a hearer, what's your main job? And that's to support the pastor in that preaching of God's Word. And uh, so... Today, what that looks like is, you know, what we're going to give so that there's a salary for the pastor and so that there's the electricity and things like that. In North Dakota, uh, even as little as 50 years ago, it involved, well, we don't have enough money to pay the pastor, but, uh, you know, I've got an extra cow. I'll just slaughter the cow and I'll give him the meat. Uh, there's a, a long section in the North Dakota uh, voters' minutes that talks about, and it's still written in German from the 1940s, we don't have enough money to pay the pastor, but um, the whole congregation got together in the winter and they went and cut down trees so that he had firewood to heat his house. Why? So that we could support a pastor there preaching God's word. We don't have the money. This is the other way we can take care of him. Um, has the table of duties goes on, talks about parents. How do you uh, help raise your kids in the faith? What does that look like? Uh, you know, husbands and wives, how do they work together so that they can remain in the faith? And all this vocation talk in the table of duties has to do with stewardship. And a small, small, small part of that is uh, keeping the doors of the church open by financial gifts. You, you also used a term that our hearers may not be as familiar with. You said table of duties, and it's part of the catechism, of course. And you also said the term vocation. When you are talking about vocation, what are you talking about? And once again, how does that connect us to everything that you said with regard to the table of duties and a stewardship response in the life of a Christian? Vocation has to do with the identity of who you are as a Christian. So you're a person that God has called, gathered, and enlightened into the Christian church through his word and sacraments. And vocation is then your identity of how you live that Christian life in your day-to-day -day world. And so if you're a parent, 
you have particular duties as a Christian parent, making sure your children learn the faith, making sure you bring them to church, uh, and that's what a Christian parent does. If you're married, then you have particular duties as a spouse, as a Christian spouse. And so you love your spouse. If you're a husband, you sacrifice yourself to take care of her, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And a Christian spouse, that's what they do. That's their vocation. You might have also have a job in the uh, uh, you know, wider world. And so how do you act as a Christian in that job? Uh, you might, uh, you're a citizen of a country, so how do you act as a Christian citizen? Uh, what does that uh, tell you about how you participate in the uh, world of civics and things like that? You vote, um, you vote wisely, uh, and uh, you participate uh, in the, the government, you pay your taxes, things like that. And so Christians, because they are Christian, act a particular way in all these different realms and, and uh, jobs that they have in their life because of their identity in Christ as a person forgiven by Christ's blood. And uh, um, that then helps to inform the world about the reality of who we are and what's important to us. So it seems like this entire vocation table of duties all fits under the category of a joyful response to the gospel of Jesus Christ, how we live our lives as Christians. Yeah. And, I mean, non-Christians have jobs and children and all these kind of things, but God calls us as Christians to be different Yes, because we have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. We have been given the gift of the forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation, and so that expression is different in our lives. In the time that we have left, Pastor, with regard to Christian stewardship, how does a Christian become more generous? Because Christians, I mean, all people by nature were selfish and stingy. So I yeah. hear quite often as a pastor, pastor, offerings are light. Hammer them with the law. We need a little more law preaching. We need you to guilt these people into putting more in the collection plate. How does one become more generous? Yeah, hitting him with the law is completely backwards. Uh, the, the truth is, um, you know, the average person wants money so that they have it in case there's a time of need, uh, so they can have a, a better house, a better car, things like that. That's their main concern. When you're a Christian, those things aren't important anymore because what has God promised to you? He's promised you everything, eternal life, salvation. And in that eternal life, he'll give you all that you need to support your body and life. Uh, he pictures heaven as the eternal wedding banquet of the lamb, not just a regular meal, a wedding banquet where the, the finest of foods is served and the best of wine. Uh, and so that's what God's promised you in Jesus. And that promise that he's given you sets you free to not love the stuff of this world more than you ought to. Um, do you need all that money? For yourself, well, if Christ has promised you something way better than that, you're free to use the stuff you have to care for the person in need around you. You're free to use the stuff that God has given you uh, to help keep the lights on in the church or to pay the uh, heating bill. You're free to uh, support a pastor to preach God's word because God's given you more than you need, and that's the case for every single person that lives in America, whether they realize it or not. Um, and... We have that freedom then to use the things we have in a God-pleasing way in service of the gospel so that the word might be preached and proclaimed and more and more people saved. And that should be our main focus then. 
if if I am worried that God will not keep his word, he will not take care of me, that God is holding out on me, then I better hold back some of my stuff because I can't trust that God will take care of me. But if I really believe it, I am set free. I'm set free to be generous with my offerings in the collection plate. I'm free to be generous with my love and my contributions to the wider world. I don't have to cling so tightly because I am free to live and love, and God's kingdom is extended yeah. in and, the process. And I've talked about this on this particular show many times. That's reverence. Uh, trusting that God really is who he says he is and will do what he says he will do. And he's promised to provide all that you need to support this body and life. And so why don't you take the things that he's provided for you and use them uh, to the benefit of the people around you? We don't have to go to church, folks, but we get to. In joyous response to the gospel of Jesus Christ. His love, our response. This has been episode 25 of At Home in Your Hymnal. We're working our way through Divine Service Setting 1. And uh, when we come back next time in episode 26, we're going to begin our discussion of the communion liturgy. Uh, Lutherans don't always talk about the Mass, but that's exactly what we're talking about here. What we do, why we do it, and how it brings all all glory to Christ. Thanks for tuning in to At Home in Your Hymnal, God's richest blessings in Christ.